Hello, church. Welcome to MRCC Online today. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Allison, you know, today is a special day. Today is Father's Day. Oh, Weston, aren't you about to be a father? That's right, Allison. Uh-huh. Okay. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and happy Father's Day to all you dads out there, grandpas, uncles. We're just, we want to celebrate you today. Yes, thanks for joining us today, church, for our interactive online service. We invite you to join us every Sunday, 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11 via our website. It is a great way to connect with your local church. And you know, one of the best ways to do that right now, if you aren't connected with a local church, is just to text the words uh, MRCC to 94000. Um, or if you are in an online interactive service, there's a little prompt right there in the chat. You can click right that, there. get connected right with us right away. That's right. Well, hey, it's summertime now. June 21st. That's today. First day of summer. What? Father's right. Day and the first day of summer. What right? a great day. But you know, what a great way to uh, celebrate this weather by with a fellowship walk after church today on the Enumclaw Buckley Trail. Wear your sunscreen. It's our new tradition. Join us 1230 <laughs> to 1.30. Bring a hat. Wear your sunscreen. You might see Tyler Cash riding on his longboard. Rain or shine, he will be there. Like physics. 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 Join us, church. Yeah. Bring your dog. Aw, everyone yeah. loves doggies. We actually enjoy the dogs. Hey, you know, with all that, we're excited to see you. We want to be a yes. part of this. We're excited for what's to come. Uh, but let's worship God together today. Yes. Amen. Amen. Okay. Good morning, church. Welcome to Online Church Today, MRCC. Happy Father's Day to you. Hey, praise the Lord for haircuts, right? Let's enter into this time of worship and give praise to our wonderful Father. Lord, we worship you. Yes, we praise you. Yes. Let praise be a weapon that silences the enemy. Let praise be a weapon that conquers all anxiety. Let it rise. Lift him high 
what freedom feels like This is what heaven sounds like We praise you, we praise you This is what living looks like This is what freedom feels like This is what heaven sounds like trembles in your presence. So God, here in your presence, we praise you for who you are. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we worship you.
But I 
remember his love, church. His love so undeniable, I, I can hardly speak. Peace so unexplainable, I, I can hardly think as you call me deeper still as you call me deeper still as you call me deeper still into love 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 you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are and i'm loved by you it's who i love is so powerful. We can receive it at any moment. We humble ourselves before you in your miraculous love, God. That's how good you are. You walk with us. You call us to you. You pursue in us. So Father, in this season, with so much distractions and fear and anger and disappointments, I pray that we would continue to pursue you and all your goodness of who you are. Yes, how you love us, but how good you are. So we pour out this worship, we pour out our love to you, for you are worthy, and we worship our good Father this Father's Day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, church. Thank you so much for worshiping this good Father with us today. Well, hey, good morning and happy Father's Day. Uh, welcome to church. Uh, as we're gathering and continuing to gather in, in an unconventional way, it is still great to come together, isn't it, in, in this way, to, to hear from God's word and let him speak. And man, I just, I just want to celebrate the way that, that we as a church and, and the church, you know, Big C, has, has responded to all that has happened in our world, you know, over the last few months. I mean, if you take a, a snapshot and look at, like, how how insane this time has actually been. We get to look at it and we get to say, man, our kids are gonna tell stories. We're gonna tell stories. They're gonna, it's gonna become the remember when. And yeah, we're, we're all counting towards the day that we get to come, at, come back in and, and gather and that this room would be filled with saints lifting up their praise to Jesus and, and, and connecting and, and dreaming together and walking alongside uh, each other in our faith. And man, I just want to Take a second and just, and just celebrate. Because, you know, in the Christian walk, it's, it's not what can we do. In the Christian walk, it's what should we do. And our pastoral team and the staff here has said, man, we're going to do everything we can 
to make it so that we can come back together. But we're going to make sure it's safe. We're going to make sure it's beneficial, that it's, that it's for the benefit of the body. And that's a beautiful thing. And, and in the midst of, of all of this, of course, we have this, this racial unrest. And we have this, this, this opportunity in history that the church really gets to stand and have a voice of, of justice and equality. And, and in it, our, we get to ask the question of our hearts. Because that's what this is. This is a question of our hearts. And, and there's so many that, have, you've seen a lot of things on social media, good and bad, but, but there's some good things. And, and I saw this, this image this last week, and I just wanted you know, to, to point, because I think it captures something that's so true. It's something that we know as believers. We know it to be true. And it says this, that until you fix it here and address it here, nothing changes here. And that's the beauty that when we talk about fixing hearts, that's why we come in. We come in so that Jesus will transform our hearts and that things that we used to say and do, things and attitudes that we used to have can be set aside. They can, they can, be, they can be healed and redeemed and God can actually turn us and, and, and point us in the right direction. And, and when that happens, then we can address it here. You know, are our homes filled with language of peace and reconciliation? Are they, are they places where we can can come together and process our relationship with Jesus and actually what it looks like to live that out in this crazy world that we live in. You know, in this time, I, I just would, I hope, and I would just encourage you that even though uh, because of, of a, a, a real danger that this virus has for us and, and for some of our population, that, that we're still, even though we might have to be physically distanced, that we're not socially distanced, that we're picking up the phone and we're calling and we're connecting in, in certainly different ways, but connecting nonetheless. That's, that's the home, right? That's when we pick up the phone and that's when we call. That's when we make those decisions. And I just would encourage you that, you know, the thing that's amazing is if we take care of this and we let Jesus take care of this in us and we do our part here, this happens. This happens as believers across the world gather at the foot of the cross to say, Jesus, we're broken and we need you. And so it is good to be with you on this Father's Day Sunday and to open God's word. We are taking uh, just a, a week break from our Hebrews um, series that Pastor's been leading us through. I love uh, the way that Pastor's been taking us through and, and learning the ancient ways and how, how God has spoken for all time, has something to say to us today. And we're going to hone in on one specific area um, in our time this morning, talking about in our, our relationship with Jesus. You know, and, and at MRCC, we say that, you know, the, the number one thing that God is to know God and to have a relationship and, and, and walk with Him. And that's, we, we say that we know God by knowing Him as our Savior, Lord, our, our Father, and our friend. That, that it, we meet Him most often as, as a Savior, as one that rescues us from our sin. But it's so much more than that. And that's what I love about Savior, Lord, Father, Friend, is it's a, it's a more full picture of, of the relationship that God desires with you and me. And that in it, we can have this, this life that He designed us for. And so we're going to be looking at, more closely, we're going to be looking at one specific aspect. We're going to be looking at, at the Lordship of Jesus in our life. That we move from that, that, that uh, insurance policy of just saving us from hell. And we're going to discover that it's not that God just saved us from hell, but He, he saved us to something. He saved us to himself and to his kingdom. And as his subjects, there's a part of this that, that has to happen inside us to walk out that reality. 
And so we're going to talk about what that looks like. And, and I'm just going to start with a question this morning. I'm going to start with just, a, it's a basic question that, that I'm hoping we can just jump in and kind of have some interactive. I know there's the, the, the chat on the side that you can plug in, or you can certainly even uh, text into the 94,000 uh, number to, uh, to talk to our staff. But I want, I want you to answer this question. Following Jesus means what? You know, this morning, if, you're, if you've got the kids piled on the bed and you're watching with us, or you're in the living room and you got your feet up enjoying a good cup of coffee, I think that's great. And you're just sitting there with a couple family members, or, or maybe you're just on your own and, and you see that chat. And I just encourage you right now, answer that question. Following Jesus means what? And here's the truth. There's a lot of things that would be true here. There's a lot of things that following Jesus means. Following Jesus does mean that we have the assurance of the forgiveness of our sins. Absolutely. But today we're going to look at one specific thing, and, and, it, and it's, a, it's a word that we sometimes struggle with in our culture. It's a word that, that can challenge us, but, it, but it's this. Following Jesus means total surrender. Following Jesus means total surrender. And that surrender word is, is a word that we can struggle with and wrestle with. Uh, because, you know, especially we're in, in a culture where we have these amazing freedoms and privileges and rights that we get to that allow so much of our life, but we can begin to, to take some of those things that don't belong in the kingdom culture and we can then try to insert them. And, and God wants us to learn something today. He wants us to learn uh, of this tremendous thing it is when we surrender completely to Him and let Him be our Lord. See, the, many of us would acknowledge that, that Jesus is the King of kings, but the question that we're answering when we look at this question, the question that we're answering is, is He the King of me? Is He my King? Is He my Lord? You know, the Holy Spirit this morning will reveal in our hearts different places and different areas where we need to continue to grow and yielding and surrendering and that's the cool thing about God is his patience and his faithfulness of just constantly reminding us like that there's, there's more to this life. There's more to the experience of walking alongside him and knowing him. And, and knowing him as Lord is, is a big part of that. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to let go of some control and, and, some, and some of the reins in our life. You know, in, in the Cash Tribe household, our, our youngest, Ava, is just about to get her driver's license. You know, it's unfortunately, she's, a, she's just another victim of COVID-19, where she's done with her classes, everything's ready to go, she was all lined up, and then she couldn't take her final drive test. And so she is just chomping, waiting to, be, to get scheduled, and I think we finally got that date scheduled, but, but you know, it's just another one of those fatalities to COVID-19 that, that in the big picture of things, sure isn't that big, but you know, of course, to a 16-year-old, that's the world, right, to, to drive and you know, most of the gray hair, I think, on the side of my head has happened this year in teaching her how to drive. And, you know, it's a, uh, it's, it's a thing where you're sitting there and, and everything in you in, in many moments makes you scream and say, I'm going to jump over and take control of this vehicle. Matter of fact, I need to. Our lives actually depend on it. And at least it feels that way oftentimes as the parent sitting in that seat. And, you know, I, I just pray for her, the poor kid. I mean, when, when she rides with me, it's so, she lands somewhere between, hey, slow down, you're going too fast, and come on, speed it up, we got to get there. You know, and, and, and that's just, again, my desire to want to be able to control the outcome of where we're going. And, and so how often in our lives do we say, okay, God, we're going to let you drive. We're going to yield, we're going to surrender, we're going to completely let you go. And then, as we're sitting there, we, we, we start to kind of want to reach and grab the wheel. We start to want to 
to, to take control back. And, and God wants to talk to us today about that. And we're going to look at a passage in Luke chapter 9. And we're going to look at Jesus' teaching here. And, and you're going to see this is a central teaching in Scripture because it ex- happens and occurs in all four of the Gospels in, in different places and, and in certain parts in, in uh, other areas of the Gospels. You can hear uh, parts of this teaching that Jesus says. But this is what he says. This is in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 23. And it says this, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, this is your word. This is your truth. God, may we hear your heart for us and and see it unfold in our lives uh, that we might live and be people of, of your word, but but more than that, people of your heart and gap and capture the heart that you have for us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, our focus is going to be around one word there that, that exists in that passage, and it's this. It's the word life. Because Jesus says that, the, that there's a life that's there, and you can save it or you can lose it. And if we just want to, let's, let's just agree that, of course, we want to save it. We don't want to lose we don't want to get to the end and, and be on the wrong side of, of life. We want, to, we want this life that, that Jesus has come to, to not just uh, save us from, but call us to and as kingdom people, as people of God's kingdom. And, and so in this, uh, we see this life that is there. And, and it's a, there's a caution right from the beginning that Jesus uh, lays out for the sake of understanding. And that, that caution is this, that, that you can, what good is it for you to gain the whole world but yet lose your soul? And the caution is that, yes, indeed, you can gain the whole world. That it actually is possible to have a life that, 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 that is exactly what you set out for it to be, but yet at the end, all for loss. And what he's inviting us to is a life that doesn't leave regret. It's a life that doesn't leave uh, you know, looking backwards, it's a life looking forward, a life with him as our Lord. You know, we're going to look to a passage back in Genesis, so we're going to jump back to the, to the Old Testament for a passage that really illustrates this, because really when you, when you read a passage like that, it can kind of seem like, man, God is asking something so hard and so intense. And, but yet we need to see a more full picture, which is what I love about God's word, how from the beginning to the end, it says the same. The story is the same. The truth is the same. And we need that because otherwise there can be these risks to, 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 think, to get a wrong perception of who God is. And so we're going to look back and we're going to see the heart of God and the life of a man named Abraham. And the passage we're going to read is actually quite lengthy this morning. The passage that, that's gonna, that we're going to draw from is lengthy, but it's such a great illustration of what Jesus is actually saying to you and to me about the lordship of him in our life, about us choosing to follow him. So if you've got your Bibles, it's in Genesis chapter 22. Um, if you're following along, also, you know, of course, the scriptures are going to be in the app, and you're going to be able, you can access them there. And of course, they're going to be on the screen as well. But Genesis chapter 2, and this is what it says. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. 
Then God said, Take your son, your only son, with whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, and took him with him, two servants, and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, he said, Father, he said, the fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar and on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket was a ram and caught by its horns, he went over and took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said that on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. See, in this passage, when we're introduced to, to the story, the, the big picture of Scripture matters. Knowing more than just what the beginning of this story tells us is significant. When, when you look at these first couple of verses, it, it seems that this horrible ask Right, where God would say, listen, I'm going to have you, you kill your son. I'm going to have you kill your own child and sacrifice him. A request from a God to do that. And, and, it, and it, it's a horrific opening. But when we encounter these passages and, and we see these things that have some, some difficult and let's just like offensive pieces to it that we don't quite understand. It is so critical that we look. Right? It seems like this, this God is this horribly sadistic God. I mean, what kind of God would ask something like that or expect something like that from somebody? Who, what kind of God would do that? And it's so important to, to, to look at this passage deeper and to jump in because really what this, a passage like this should do is it should push us to, to want to, to dig deeper, to discover more. Right? Some might take that passage and go, see, it's, it's, it's a, that is ridiculous. What kind of God would do that? But this passage actually invites us to discover something more. And really what it, it invites us to discover is, is the why. Why, does, why would God ask something like this? Remembering our, that, our, that our big idea is, is talking about surrender today and, and asking you this life, what's it worth to live? What's it worth to, to really surrender and lay stuff down at the feet of God? What, what is gained in it? And in surrender, there's four principles that we see from this text that we took this morning. And there's four key principles that we're going to draw from. And, and we're going to talk about how they reveal truly what God is actually saying in this 
to you and to me about what it looks like to have the Lordship of Jesus in our life, the Him leading, what it looks like for us to totally surrender. The, the first is that in surrender, God leads. In surrender, God leads. He says, go to the place that I will show you in verse 2. You know, I love about this is that if for Abraham, this is a familiar line. If you go back 10 chapters to Genesis 12, where God is first in Abraham, introduced to Abraham, and he says, listen, I'm going to call you away from your family, your land. I'm going to send you to another place that I will show you. See, Abraham already knew God's voice when it came to his leading in his life because he used that exact same phrase before. I'm going to send you somewhere. I'm not going to spell it all out. I'm going to show you. But you have to take the first step to follow. You have to commit to saying, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to trust God and I'm going to take that first step. And that's exactly what, what he says because if, you know, if you're familiar with the story of Abraham and this, this passage to the place I'll show you, this is the, the very beginning of this amazing promise that God speaks. You know, when Abraham's 75 years old, God comes and says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Even though at 75 years old, he and his wife had had no children and no prospect for any. Even though at 75 years old, there was nothing that would set his life aside as someone that God would want to choose and say, you're going to go become this, um, this great nation. But Abraham trusted God. He yielded his life. He walked away from everything that was familiar. And he took a step and he said, I'm going to go to this place that God shows me. And as he begins to live this out in, the, in this familiar we, we're fast forwarded now when we read this passage in Genesis 22. You know, this could be somewhere around 45-ish years later, 40 to 45, because, you know, scholars, of course, all have different ideas of how old Isaac was. And, you know, the youngest say he's somewhere around 15 to 17. And the older say, the oldest says he's about 30. So, you know, either way, he's not, he's not a small boy. Our picture isn't that it's a small child in this, that it, he's actually old enough to, to know exactly what's going on. And, and again, scholars say because he knew what the sacrifice was. He understood the ramifications there. And he carried the wood up the, up the mountainside for the sacrifice. So he knew, you know, what, what, uh, was, you know, what, what they were supposed to be going for. And, and in this, though, you see that this, this familiarity that he has with God's leading to the place that I will show you, to the place where where you will get to go and discover something new about this God. You know, this, this promise that God had spoken over him back in earlier in Genesis. I mean, this is, this is the promise of promises. It's not just a promise that's significant to all of history. It's personally significant to both Abraham and Sarah. You know, in it, you know, we don't see any sort of... Uh, negotiation on Abraham's part with God. When God asks him to go sacrifice his son, right, he asks, and the next morning you see him getting up and making the preparations. I mean, how would you respond if God, you know, had removed your shame and this beautiful thing that was in, physically impossible? They weren't going to have kids, and yet God came through at the age of 100, and they had the son. You know, how, how would you respond if in that moment God asked you to, to sacrifice that and, ha and give it back? You know, I'm just going to be honest, if it was me, I would, I'd begin to negotiate with God. I would begin to say, you know, like, God, are you sure about that? Are, do you have that right? Are, could you be wrong here? Because, you know, like, um, like, I don't mind trying and all, God. But, you know, in the midst of that, 
like, that was pretty lucky at 100. I'm now like 120-ish or so. God, are you sure you want to push this, the, you know, this envelope? And because, and I mean, that's what it would mean. I'd have to have another child because this is my heir. And, and, and yet, he stepped out. He set out. He went straight to work on the preparations because he knew something about God. See, we do see a glimpse, though, of how he thinks it will go. Because as he and the servants and, and Isaac head out, he, comes, he brings us to our next point, and it's this. That in surrender, God is trusted. In surrender, God is trusted. He says this, we will come back. He says we will come back. He doesn't say, hey, listen, I'll be back. He doesn't say, you know, like, um, you know, I'm not saying, and we don't know why. We don't know if he didn't want to freak Isaac out. Like, hey, I'm going to go over there and, and kill my son. Isaac would be like, hey, that's not very good, you know. We don't know if it would be, um, if it was that. We don't know if he thought, man, the, the servants would try to stop him if he actually did that. But what we do know is he said this, we're going to go do what God told us to do. And yet at the same time, he said, we're going to come back. And see, Abraham at this point had seen God's faithfulness for probably 40, 45 years. And so Abraham was relying on what he'd already learned about the heart of God. That when God asks you to do something, you can trust it. That when he asks you to do something, if he asks you to surrender, even that most, most precious promise, that you can trust God. And really what it shows us is this, that, re, that while recalling God's faithfulness and knowing how he's responded in the past is amazing, but knowing God's heart matters most. Knowing his heart for us matters most. We could say, well, that, you know, if, if Abraham said, you know, I, I know God, and he could say, you know what, nah, God would never ask me to do that. He promised me this child. Why would he ask me to do that? It was actually the opposite. Because he trusted God so much, he was able to trust God with the outcome. Now, did he trust that God would, if, if indeed he did sacrifice his son, that God, that God might raise him back to life? Maybe. Did he assume that maybe God would raise up another heir? Maybe. He, he just knew God's promise and he trusted him. But he trusted the person. And that's what caused him to act and live out. The third thing that we see is that in surrender, God provides. In surrender, God provides. Notice it says that in our passage in verse 12, it says, the Lord will provide. Right? He, taking his son, and his son asks that question, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And, and yet God says, or Isaac says, uh, where's it at? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide. He trusted his provision. All these years, we don't see Isaac, or Abraham praying for a substitute. We don't see him stopping and saying, you know what, I, I, need, I need to stop because I really don't want to do this. We don't see him doing any of that. He just sees, we just see him assuring his son Isaac. And that's not a, a small ask. That's not a small thing. It, it's becoming evident that they needed something to sacrifice. And you wonder what was going through, through Isaac's mind as they, as they approached this moment where Abraham bound his hands and, and Abraham prepared to to have his son be sacrificed. And, you know, it's, it's when you read scripture and you understand the truth of, like, how old Abraham was and, and Isaac's age, I mean, in, in my mind, I mean, you know, the first thing that occurred to me when, when I knew I was going to preach this passage was that, that this is Father's Day weekend and I'm talking about 
a father sacrificing his son. You know, you go figure. It could be worse. But then, the second was like, oh, but how what a beautiful picture of God's heart for us to learn about our father's heart and what it looks like to surrender. And, and certainly at that age, right, Isaac could have overpowered his dad. I mean, it wasn't like it would have been close, you know, if he's in his 20s or 30s and dad's 125. I mean, all Isaac has to do is kind of like lightly jog away and what's Abraham going to do? Grab his walker and just start chasing him down? That's not going to work. You know, I'm sure he, he, he didn't, but what we see is we see his son saying, not only do I, do I see my dad trusting God, but then I'm going to trust my dad. And he begins, and he, and he lays him on the altar. It says, you know, in that passage, it says that, you know, after he had built the altar and he arranged the wood, I mean, can you imagine in his heart and in his mind as he's arranging the wood, like looking around, saying like, oh man, there's got to be a sheep here somewhere. There's got to be somewhere. And like, you know, he might have taken a little extra few minutes, you know, making sure the wood was just right so that, so that he could stall. But God doesn't doesn't move and doesn't act until he lays his son on the altar. For us, it's knowing that, that God's provision and his timing are up to him. It's just up to us to obey and yield. What a roller coaster of an experience for sure. You know, what a roller coaster of experience for him to, to, to go through this Abraham, this, this moment where he, he's prepared. And I mean, it says that he lifted the knife and that he was there's nothing that tells us he wasn't going to follow through with God, with what God asked him. There's nothing in this passage that teaches us that. But then it says that, that he was stopped in it, and that in it, in it, God says, now I know. And in it, really what Abraham knew is he knew the heart of God. See, Abraham let God reveal his faithfulness. Abraham in total surrender, let God reveal what his actual plan was for this. It's so significant. And this passage really stands out in Scripture. And it's a great thing for us today to have a picture. Because we hear you know, him sacrificing his son. And it can cause us like this. Like what kind of horrible thing is that? And, and really this passage stands in, in direct contrast of the cultures and the religions of that day. That it was common practice to offer your firstborn is sacrifice to whatever God it is. And this is God clearly saying for all, like, no, that's not how this works. It's not about you proving to me something. That's not God's heart. That when you surrender and you yield to God, what it is really saying is, God, I'm going to trust you no matter what. And I'm going to trust you just like Abraham, even if it means I'm going to trust you with the promise that you made to me, even though it doesn't seem like it's a pro something you would ask. I'm still going to trust you. See what Abraham had revealed was that he was going to surrender even that, his, that one thing, that precious promise that God made him. Because he knew the heart of his God. Because he knew. When you look and he says, we're coming back, it's because he knew the heart of God. That this would be contrary. That while it might match the cultures of the world, it did not match the heart of the Father God. And God, if we're going to trust him and he makes the promise, God will also be the one that keeps the promise. And while Abraham laid his whole world on that altar, we see and we gain the confidence to know that we can lay our whole world at the feet of Jesus and receive him as Lord.
See, there's a lot of things that we say we believe in until the test comes. There's a lot of things, and this gets practical very quick. Because it's one thing to say, yeah, amen, pastor, that's good. And, and yes, that's what the Bible says. It's another thing when, when you're faced with the truth. You know, and it's like a teacher in a classroom that is, uh, and uh, boy, think of that. Teachers in classrooms, hmm, coming in 2021. But in it, you have a teacher in a classroom and they're teaching and teaching and teaching. And at some point, they want to know if you're learning. They want to know if, if, if you're able to, to put into practice those concepts that you've taken in. And, and this is where we find a test. And, and it's so important for us to talk about the tests that, that come our way and the opportunities we have to surrender. Because there are some things about God's tests that are, that, are, that are true for God's test, but there's things about God's test that the enemy likes to twist. See, God doesn't test because he's hoping we'll fail. God doesn't test in sin. He doesn't challenge, he doesn't test our, our commitment to our marriage by, by telling us, the Holy Spirit speaking to us, that, that we need to leave our spouse. That, that's, not, that's not a test from God. That's, that's sin doing its own thing. That's sin doing what sin already does, taking something that God calls good and perverting it. No, God's tests are opportunities not to prove something, but God's tests are opportunity for him to reveal something to us and in us. God's tests are not to beat us up. They're not so that when, and when we stumble or we fail or we don't cut it, or we don't make it, it's not, it's, God doesn't test us so they can go, see, I told you, you weren't good enough. That's not the voice of God. That's not the heart of God as our Lord. You know, at the end, we didn't read it this morning, but at the end of this passage, there's this reaffirmation of the promise that God made to Abraham. You will indeed be blessed, and all nations will be blessed through you. See, Abraham could have said, no way from the beginning. You promised God and dug his heels in. But because he knew the heart of God, he was able to completely surrender. You know, so often things that we're challenged in and things where we face our tests are in those things that, that, that aren't bad. Isaac was God's promise. Nothing sinful about that. That was his promise. And, and, a, and a miracle child. And in our lives, we have things that are amazing. God wants us to have amazing blessed marriages and, and kids that, that are raised to know him and, and to walk boldly as, as lights in their, in their, in their schools and their community. And, and, and he wants this life to count. That's what this, this is about. This is about that life that we really find when we yield and surrender to God. So you can have the family and the job that's satisfying. You can have the health and finances. Whether you're married or whether you're single, you can live to glorify God. But when those things become the promise that we begin to worship, those is when, that's when the challenge comes and the test comes to yield those things to God as our Lord. You know, I think that as we look at this, passage and, and especially timely with, with seniors graduating and, and students graduating from college and the world is just at their fingertips and, and I think are we preaching that message that the best thing for your future is that you hand it to God that you lay your whole world on the altar you know in this passage as horrific as it starts out you've, there's this beautiful picture that you don't have to look too closely to see 
you see a beloved son that reaches the foot of a mountain on the third day where the wood that, that would be the sacrifice is, is placed on his shoulders and he willingly carries it. He's obedient to his father and then the father provides the lamb that was slain. See, because in the gospel, the lordship of Jesus isn't about giving things up. It's about what's, what, what's been given to us so that we can surrender. It's about what's given to us so that we can surrender to the real life that's not controlled by our selfish will or sin at the center. It's with him as our, in our center, as our Lord. I want to jump back as we wrap up this morning to Luke chapter 9. In light of what we looked at in Abraham's life, let's reread together this passage. Let's relook at this knowing that it's not about what God expects. It's what God seeks to reveal in us in surrender. He said this. This is Jesus. He said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul? How different does surrender look like when we place our lives in those things that we think matter the most under his lordship? When we surrender our hopes and dreams, when we surrender our marriage and families, when we surrender our ministries, when we surrender our identity and, and, and the image that we so often work hard to protect, how different does it look when we surrender those and place them and allow Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, to be the one that would fulfill and carry to where it's not about proving how much we love God or we're willing to sacrifice but it's about showing that God is the most precious thing. And if we can trust the promise, we can trust the promiser. This morning, we have an opportunity just to respond. And, and if you're sitting in a room with friends or family, or you're driving down the road, I just want to encourage you to pick up the phone or, or, or just take a minute and slow down and, and let the Holy Spirit speak to you to hear what it is that that you need to surrender and place on the altar. What it is that, that has been out of order and, and, and placed a little bit higher than it should be and what it looks like to really be free and receive this life that Jesus promises is there with his lordship. It leads to what we really want. It leads to life. The question for us is what's it worth? Is it worth gaining it? Is it worth gaining it? That's what he promises in his lordship. Now again, I'm super big fan of practical and, and sometimes we do things uh, out of the ordinary because we need to uh, shake things up a little bit. But if you're in your living room, if you're in your bedroom, uh, it just wouldn't work if you're driving, but if, uh, if you're listening, you're just like, man, I, I know the Holy Spirit is speaking to me about yielding and surrender. Would you just kneel right where you're at? We're gonna to pray together. But we're gonna pray that as we lay it there, we're laying it in trust. We're laying it knowing that he's gonna provide. We're laying it knowing that he's revealing himself as our all-sufficient Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we so quickly 
love to grab for control. We so quickly love to, to say we're going to give you something, but then out of fear or, or whatever it is, we, we take it back. But this morning, God, we're learning that when you're our Lord, when we're surrendered, we actually gain the life. We actually gain what we're really looking for. And so we surrender this morning from our hearts, those places and those areas that are keeping us from jumping in all in and letting you be our Lord. You're a good Lord. You rule your kingdom with grace and mercy, with patience and justice. And we surrender it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good to be with our MRCC family. Anxious to be back gathering here, but until then, keep being the church. Keep loving your neighbor, and, uh, and we'll see you in church soon. And may the love of God the Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with us in our world with Jesus as our Lord. Go with God and have a great week.